Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Recently, a friend of mine who's had to shift to using a wheelchair posted a picture of her toilet on social media. I just think it's important for people to see what I've got at home so then they can get a picture in their mind of what is basically needed in toilets in the public because you really don't see any support for people that have a disability or in a wheelchair or have a special need in regards just to going to the toilet. Today, we look at the reality of what life is like if you're living with a disability in Australia in 2021 and how we can make sure 4.4 million Aussies don't get left behind. Four years ago, Mel Dezeldi was working as a radio executive in South Australia. She'd beaten liver cancer years earlier, but it returned forcing her into years of chemo, radio and other treatments before being told she was in remission again. But some of the side effects of her chemo didn't go away this time. Nerve damage in her leg was getting worse and it took a while before doctors diagnosed her with motor neuron disease, a degenerative condition that saw her end up needing to use a wheelchair. For Mel, who is eternally optimistic, even in the face of seemingly insurmountable odds, she decided she wouldn't let any of that get in the way of her living her life, deciding she would spend her time with her friends and family, enjoying their company and making memories. But something was standing in her way. The world she once navigated with ease suddenly became a barrier. It's not like you can just jump in the car and race up to the shops because you've forgotten to buy some milk. It's a huge, big undertaking to even get in the car, let alone find a car park, then find a shop that has a ramp that's accessible, that's not dangerous. A lot of ramps are very steep, which are dangerous. And then be able to get into that shop and buy the carton of milk if you want to go out to a restaurant. I can't believe how many restaurants or cafes don't have any facilities for people in wheelchairs. It's a basic human need and it's just not thought of. Talk to me about some of the experiences you've had in, first of all, trying to find out if a business does have an accessible toilet and then some of the experiences you've had when you've realised accessible probably isn't the right word. I've learned that I have to, before I go anywhere, I need to ring that place that we've chosen beforehand and ask them just two questions. Do you have wheelchair access into your business? And do you have a disabled toilet? That's the two questions I ask them. I'm not really asking too much. And if they say yes to both, then I think green light, fantastic, we can go there. But I've also learned the hard way that that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a safe or disabled-friendly experience for me. My most recent experience was at a restaurant, which we'd made these phone calls to. I'd arrived and I said to the waitress as soon as I arrived, Hi, I'm the lady that's been calling you. I will need to use your disabled toilet, just letting you know I'm here. She said, no worries, let me know and I'll get you the key. 
when I went into that disabled toilet, which was very hard to get into, this poor waitress had to move an outdoor gas heater. All the staff had thrown their shoes into this room. It was half storage room for their drinks for the restaurant. They obviously used it as a smoker room because there were cigarettes in the toilet. Like, there would have been hundreds of cigarette butts. It was ashy, filthy, no toilet paper. There was no soap for me to wash my hands with. I could hardly sit in this room because of how many drinks they had stored in there. It was just the most horrendous, embarrassing experience, and it just made me feel like I don't matter. Do you ever say anything? If your experience is bad? You know, I get asked this all the time and I haven't. And it's not through not wanting to make a difference. It's because I have motor neuron disease and cancer. For me to even go to these places is a huge big thing. I have to plan for it days ahead to have the energy to even enjoy myself. If I have an experience, like I've mentioned, in a terrible disabled toilet, it actually shatters me. It takes even more of my energy away. And I come out feeling like I don't even have words. I can barely even just get through the fact that I've had to go through that. How does it make you feel knowing that the wider Australian community doesn't want to make space for people with a disability? It makes us feel like we don't count, that we're not valued. And it's interesting because when you get out and about, you don't see a lot of people in wheelchairs, and there's a reason why, because we can't get out and about. Businesses just make it impossible for us to function normally as we were before perhaps we're in a wheelchair or maybe you've never been able to function like this. It makes it so incredibly hard. But honestly, some days I say to people, if they want to see me, come to my house. At least I know I've got a safe toilet to you. Does it make sense then when you hear people talk from a disability perspective saying it's a very isolating experience? Oh, absolutely. It really is. You know, if friends can't come to your home for whatever reason, then it's extremely isolating and you really do have to try and get out and about. And you want to. You don't want to stop living your life, but it's just made incredibly hard. According to the latest report by the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, 18% of Aussies are currently living with a disability. That's nearly 4.5 million people. A further 22% of us have a long-term health condition that could impact our ability to interact with our community. Three in five people with a disability live in households where they need help with at least one activity of daily living. One in every eight have had to modify their homes in order to accommodate their situation. While 9 out of 10 kids with a disability go to a mainstream school, 8 of those 10 will have one or more schooling restrictions due to their circumstances. Sadly, according to a 2020 report, 1 in 10 people with a disability aged over 15 experienced disability discrimination in the previous 12 months. If you aren't living with a disability or aren't part of someone's support network, you may have little or no idea of what everyday life is actually like. Unlike Mel, who's found adapting to life in a wheelchair difficult, for Tess, who's been blind since birth, she has ways of navigating her community that she's learned over years and only needs a little help now and then. One of the first things I did when I moved to Albury, where I'm living now, is I organised orientation and mobility training to a couple of places that I would need to go. So there's the Vision Australia building, the next door, when I was working there, 
and also a couple of coffee shops that I like to go to. So I had to make sure that I knew exactly where they were, where the landmarks were, had a bit of a map in my head about where to get there. Or sometimes, if it's particularly difficult, I have to make a recorded audio map on my phone with specific instructions. Once I've learned that, I follow that map and get there. And for me, if I'm going out somewhere on my own, it's got to be somewhere that I'm familiar with and preferably that they know me because they can say, oh, hi, Tess. Oh, do you want a table inside, outside? I can tell them what I'm looking for and we go from there. And then when I'm leaving to go back home, they can say, oh, which way are you trying to go, Tess? And I can say, oh, I'm heading toward the door and, you know, I'm heading back to the left along the path. And they say, you know, okay, go that way. So it's just those small things because I have a cane and, you know, because walking isn't a problem or anything like that, it's really just about making sure the places are familiar and that I've learned them well and that I can rely on certain landmarks to let me know where I'm going so I don't get lost. Which doesn't mean that I don't always get lost because I do occasionally and it's very embarrassing because I often find myself walking around in circles and inevitably someone comes over and says, oh, you know, are you all right? I'm like, yeah, it's just really embarrassing. I just got lost. So that's a bit mortifying, but, you know, most of the time that doesn't happen so much. Of course, not all disabilities are as obvious as a wheelchair or a white cane. Sometimes it might be something like being on the autism spectrum. Ainsley Robertson is a researcher with Autism Spectrum Australia's research arm, supporting a variety of projects, including the lived experience of Twice Exceptional Adults Project. Ainsley also has two children, one who's also on the autism spectrum. Ainsley, how does autism influence the way that you interact with the community that we may not be aware of? It's a little bit different now that I know that I'm autistic because I kind of know what I'm dealing with. But some of the ways that it makes life, I guess, different for me, I'm a very socially anxious person. So speaking to people, presenting and all of that sort of stuff is not my natural state of being, I guess. Also, I very much like routine, sameness, and all of those sorts of things as well. So I live quite a structured life, I guess you could say. Also, a little bit of anxiety comes with it. What frustrations do you find in dealing with things that able-bodied people might not be aware of, like grocery shopping or going to a cafe, something like that? Mostly it's around busyness. I'm quite uncomfortable with a whole lot of people in my personal space and also loud noises as well. So for me, it's picking times where I know that places aren't going to be particularly crowded. I guess social distancing very much worked in your favour. Social distancing has been such a blessing in disguise because particularly when you're standing in queues and people behind you think that they're going to get where they're going faster by standing right on your person, it's just not an issue anymore. So that's been fantastic for me. You might know that for the majority of the 4.4 million Aussies with a disability, 77% in fact, have a physical disability, and that 23% experience mental or behavioural disabilities. But do you know what it takes for someone with a disability to get to the shops and buy groceries, or what you can do to make life a little easier for someone with a disability? Associate Professor Jennifer Smith-Mary is Director of the Centre for Disability Research and Policy at the University of Sydney. Jennifer, is there disability access legislation in place across Australia? 
there's different legislation in different jurisdictions. So it really depends on the local area. So councils generally will have legislation that means that businesses have to be accessible, but the range of accessibility measures are limited often to physical accessibility and they don't take into consideration other types of disability needs. So they might, for example, say there has to be a wheelchair accessible bathroom if the coffee shop has over 10 patrons, for example. However, they don't mandate other types of accessibility such as the need for braille in all buildings or hearing loops, for example, for people who are not able to hear. What impact does that lack of access have on people with a disability just in their general day-to-day life? What kind of overarching impact does that have on people as a whole who find what able-bodied people find accessible every day completely cut off to them? Everything is just a lot harder. So if you can't read a menu, then that's going to be a lot harder to order things because you've got to ask questions, you've got to get someone who's able to access the visual menu in a cafe to be able to order. So that's a very basic thing, but that happens all the time. So every single interaction becomes much more difficult for people with disability. And that just layers upon layers upon layers so that people then have a lot less opportunities because they're continually facing those accessibility barriers. And also they're not sure, like you turn up to a new place and you're not sure what the accessibility is. So you have to do all of this working out once you get there as to how you're going to be able to access a venue and how you're going to do the things that you want to do within that venue. Jen, what can we do to improve accessibility? I think we all need to take it on. So disability needs to be everyone's business. We need to really take inclusion seriously. In New South Wales, for example, and in other states and territories, there's the Disability Inclusion Act, which mandates government agencies to put together inclusion plans, which will enhance inclusion. So that forces inclusion in government agencies. It doesn't enforce a type of inclusion. They have to come up with their own plans. But for most of us, we're perfectly fine going on in our everyday lives, not making that inclusion happen. And unless inclusion is everybody's business, unless we have a a, a disability lens that we can use and and look around and, and look for what is not inclusive, then really we're just perpetuating those types of barriers that people with disability face every day. In reality, there are a wide variety of different conditions and lived experiences for people with a disability here in Australia. But if we make a community difficult for people with a disability to navigate, then we force people into their homes where they feel safe, but also where they remain unseen and unheard. If we isolate people with a disability, if we make them essentially invisible, then it makes it easier for them to become victims, like Adelaide woman Anne-Marie Smith, whose carer was found guilty of manslaughter after it was revealed she'd been left sitting in a cane chair for up to a year, developing pressure sores, malnutrition, eventually dying of organ failure due to sepsis. Her treatment and even her death went unnoticed by her community. Her inability to get out of her home essentially made her a recluse. So how do we make sure that the world designed for able-bodied people is a safer, more accessible place for those with a disability? 
when you don't provide a ramp or a toilet that's usable, you are basically saying to me that you don't want me to spend money in your establishment and that you don't value me as a client or a customer. That's what you're saying to me and my community. I think sometimes there's a bit of panic. Oh, you know, there's a blind person walking in here. What do we need to do? Really, all I need is a chair to know what's on the menu and I can ask and, you know, to know how to get to either the counter and then the door. That's really all. Essentially, I'd like businesses to know that they don't have to worry so much, you know, that it's not going to be a big problem, that, you know, I just need a few simple things and it's going to be okay. When it comes to being out and about, particularly with my son who's nine and autistic, he might behave in a way that's a little bit different to what you would expect from a typical nine-year-old. And just having that understanding that there are people who do behave in different ways and not to treat us poorly just because he might behave in a way that you wouldn't expect, if that makes sense. If somebody asks him what he wants to eat, he may not be able to answer that at that particular time and that he's not being rude. And he might be fidgeting with things on the table or rocking on his chair. He's like a really sweet, lovely little boy, but there's just a few things that might seem a bit unusual. Just to be kind and I guess not judge him would be really helpful. This episode of The Quickie was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Ian Camilleri. And guys, the deadline for voting closing at the Australian Podcast Awards is November 28th. That is Sunday week. If you're a fan of this podcast, we'd really appreciate your support by voting for us in the listener's choice category. Just find a link to vote in our show notes. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.